In this episode, graphics editor Crystal explores what internet culture is like and what it says about people all over the world. had one of your family members come into your room and say something along the lines of oh you're always on your phone or you're always on your computer if that's true you must have also mentally replied with a no i'm taking notes for my push class or a no i'm writing my english essay i don't know i do that a lot and for me it feels bad to have someone tell me to my face that well i procrastinate too much specifically that i use social media too much us Gen Zs are infamously known for using our phones and social media a lot, though, whether we like to admit it or not. According to the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry, teenagers spend up to nine hours using screens, and that number might even go up if, well, I don't know, let's say we're stuck in a global pandemic with nothing else to look at. Every day, I walk into my advisory or flex to see people texting their friends, did we have homework yesterday or tidally scrolled through Instagram to see their IRL friends brag about internships, competitions, the whole shebang? So I did some research. As it turns out, teenagers tend to frequent internet social media sites like YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, and Snapchat here in the United States, which is about what I expected. But that also got me thinking. What is social media usage like worldwide, across all age groups and countries? What do people around the world like to see on social media? and how their internet culture is similar and different. But first, I want to try and see what popular internet culture is like in the United States from an objective point of view. Like many people, my YouTube front page features a lot of content catered to me, you know, because of the whole algorithm and stuff. So to get an accurate, accurate representation, or at least try to get an accurate representation of what internet culture is like, I signed out of my Google account and went on incognito mode. From what I see, American YouTube is a platform dominated by Mr. Beast-esque challenges about Ooh, last one to leave this perfectly normal house gets an insane amount of money and Ooh, I should try to survive this abandoned factory in 24 hours and then as you watch it, you realize that nothing significant really happens. There are a lot, also a lot of reaction channels like this on the site, which are just channels that kind of over-exaggerate what's going on in a video when in actuality it's probably not as impressive as they make it out to be. But do keep in mind that videos like these on YouTube's recommendation page might not accurately reflect what users actually watch and enjoy watching. Since 2015, YouTube's algorithm changed from prioritizing watch time to prioritizing viewer satisfaction, which they measure by taking surveys and recording likes and dislikes on videos. This might not be the most effective way of measuring because users can just haphazardly do the survey and also because you can't really measure whether or not someone dislikes the video because they genuinely dislike it or just because they're memeing around or something. On the other hand, there are also a lot of content that is less childish and less clickbaity. For example, there are video essays that teach you time management skills, stationary recommendations, and just generally useful types uh, of tips on life. There are also a lot of sciencey documentaries, such as Kurtzgesagt videos and history videos made easily understandable through animations, cartoons, and other video graphics. And so, users are less likely to be recommended content that they actually enjoy than be recommended content while they don't really enjoy, but they just don't mind watching it. If you want more about algorithms, though, be sure to check out 
Algorithms Are Polarizing America by Sampada, who is one of our staff writers here on IHSports.com. She goes more in depth about algorithms, algorithms and specifically its effect on political messaging. And back to what we're talking about. If I change my country on YouTube to Japan, there's still a lot of Mr. Beast-esque challenges and reaction channels. But what seems to be different, though, is how there seems to be a lot more reality shows, vlogs, and just overall content using a first-person camera. Which may be because of idol culture and how it normalizes getting to know every part of a celebrity. These videos also tend to have really colorful text graphics at points of the video to emphasize particular scenes. Which might be because of how animation is a very big industry in Japan. And then, if I change my country to India, I see a lot more movies or TV show trailers. A lot of these contents are the same as those on American YouTube. There are still a lot of reaction channels and challenges, but the thing is, it seems like there are a lot more hour-long documentaries or episodes of shows on there. I found this very strange because because there aren't as many long videos on American YouTube. Most of them tend to be around 10 or less minutes, more, more or the same. The next thing I know, I'm searching up the phrase most enjoyed shows by country and most trending Twitter users in the world right now. Strangely, it seems like people all over the world tend to all follow YouTube on Twitter. <laughs> According to Global Media Insight, YouTube ranked second as the most popular social media platform worldwide. In 2022, YouTube had a total of 2.5 billion users and has users in more than 100 countries. Still, there are a lot of differences from country to country in terms of, well, who they follow on Twitter. For example, I noticed how a lot more people follow Liz Truss, the United Kingdom ex-prime minister in, in the UK, and how people living on the east coast of the United States tended to follow sports teams like the Philadelphia Phillies. And South Americans tend to follow their country's politics. Like, for example, a lot of Brazilians follow Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva, who is a leading candidate in the 2022 Brazil presidential election. I guess this was to be expected, but what shocked me was that there were fewer countries using Twitter than, well, I expected. It seemed that Twitter is re really only used in Europe, North and South America, Japan, South Korea, and that got me thinking. What do these quote-unquote other countries use instead of Twitter, instead of Instagram, TikTok? Well, according to social media strategist Vincenzo Kozinsa, almost all countries favor using Facebook, with the exception of Iran and Japan using Instagram, China using WeChat, and Russia using Vkontakte. I was really surprised at how widespread Facebook seemed to be. Especially here in the Bay Area, or at least in my friend group, Facebook seemed more like a dead meme that parents and grandparents used. It was kind of also eye-opening in a way too, because I never really re knew that other sides of the platform exist, separate from the United States version, since I never use it, or I never know of it. And with the controversies over Facebook's privacy policy, content regulation, and just lack of integrity, I guess I really thought their controversies were more well-known amongst the international community, and that might lead Facebook to be less popular. What I wasn't surprised, though, was how China and Russia had completely separate social media platforms than we do, WeChat and Vkontakte, respectively. I know people who use WeChat, and from my experience, it's like a messaging service masked with the mobile payment app. 
I took a look at some screenshots of the Contacte, and it seems like the format is very similar to Facebook. Like Facebook, you can click on people's profiles and send them messages, add them as a friend, and view their photo album and posts. There are also similar sidebar categories like groups, news, and games. But a major difference between the two sites is how V Contacte is mostly used in Russia, while Facebook is used all over the world. WeChat and V Contacte are infamous for their limited privacy and censorship. WeChat shares its user activity with China's mass surveillance networks and censors, quote, possibly sensitive, quote, topics. On the other hand, V Contacte. Bans users for spreading any information the Kremlin's against, with its latest example being the Ukraine war. It's because Russia and China are autocratic countries who limit freedom of speech in all mediums, not just on the internet. Reporters Without Borders rank them as 155 and 175 on the index for the World Press Freedom Index, out of the total 195 countries in the world. But even then, you can still find a lot of interesting things on these sites. One thing I noticed is how the slang on these sites are also different, which reflects how internet communities is in different countries. Well, just have fun and communicate in different ways. Like, I found it really funny at how opening parentheses when when you like just mash them all together represents sadness or crying in Russian slang. Likewise, closing parentheses is like the Russian version of laughing out loud. Repeating the letter g in the Cyrillic script indicate that you acknowledge someone's joke, but that doesn't necessarily mean you find it funny. Just imagine trying to I don't know flirt with your crush and using a very bad pickup line, and you just get parentheses and goes as a response. Wouldn't that be an interesting experience? It was also fascinating to me that Russian internet slangs had multiple substitutes for laughing out loud, not just the closing parentheses. They have L O L, but like written using their own alphabet, ha. And then kayeka, which spells out kek, which is similar to the internet slang for laughing in Korean, okay. And yeri stacked on top of each other, which all of them describe someone laughing. It kind of reflects how in the United States we have different variations of laughing internet slang too, like laughing out loud, and then lmao, lmfao, and well, just keyboard smashing. <laughs> I guess one thing that is universal amongst all countries is how we all appreciate humor. In a way, people all over the world gravitate towards hilarious videos on the internet more than everything, and that's what may have led us all to develop slang for laughing and other reactions. Another way of communicating with these emotions is visually through symbols. Here in the United States, us users like to use a lot of emojis and meme emojis. Some example, including the laughing, crying face for sarcasm, the standing emoji for awkwardness. And the skull emojis, stone face emojis, to say, "This thing is so terrible that it's funny." <laughs> Internet users in Japan use many kinds of cow emoji, which means text face. It basically refers to assembling faces using keyboard characters. Most of the time, these are done using opening and closing parentheses as the face, and symbols inside the parentheses as facial features. One thing that was new to me was O R Z, which is pronounced Ozu or Oritsu. Which is basically an A S C I I art of someone bowing down in disappointment. <laughs> It comes in many other variations, like with C R Z and all capital letters O T L, O R two, on underscore dot and then onwards. Which, if you think about it, is somewhat different from the supposed American way. Instead of typing out a kamoji for for rolling on the floor. People here in American-based flights mostly text "No, I'm rolling on the floor" in all caps instead. 
The interesting thing is that even though these emotions use symbols that can be found on everyone's keyboard and capture universal emotions like laughing and disappointment, these emoticons are mostly popular in only Japan. Sometimes these slang can be found in Damu, which is Chinese for bullet screen. It refers to a feature on some video sharing platforms that let you see user comments float across the video in real time. These comments sometimes overcrowd the video, which is where the bullet part comes from. If you were watching a Japanese variety show, you would be able to see a lot of text floating by whenever something funny, controversial, or just overall shocking happens in the show. In a way, it builds a sense of community within a specific video or live stream, similar to how we have chat on YouTube or on Twitch. I guess at the end of the day, I got to see how internet cultures from country to country, contrary to what I thought before, are actually more similar than I thought they would be. It seems like people all over the world try to sh- find shocking, hilarious content that appeal to them. We can see this through how there's so many reaction channels and challenges all across YouTube, not just like Mr. Beast here in the United States. And through using slang and emoticons, users bond through a screen over sh- the content they like. From this, people all over the internet establish strong senses of community on the internet through well, just talking to one another, showcasing their emotions and ideas to the world. I think that's the importance of learning more languages. Otherwise, you won't be able to get to know all these other sides of the internet and explore the cultures that come with them, which really is a shame because there's so much out there waiting to be explored. For me personally, it was really unfortunate how I had to constantly rely on secondhand sources written by people who navigated those sides of the internet before. But if I knew Hindi, Telugu, Japanese, Russian, Spanish, I think I'll definitely have a much better understanding of these other sides. So while you're at it, I urge you to go out there. If you have extra time, which is not much considering we go to Irvington, but try exploring more content from outside the United States, even if you have to rely on dubbing or subtitles. Who knows? Maybe through watching funny videos, you'd get a better understanding of the world from another perspective. And it's only like this that we can expand our horizons and be more inclusive, mindful of all the communities around us, even if they appear to be far away.